sermon series in this book of uh, Acts, which charts, of course, the early history of the church after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And we come today to uh, chapter 12, um, this amazing deliverance of Peter. So before we look at this more closely together, let me uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this historical document that's been preserved for our benefit. Thank you for what it reveals, the amazing spread of the good news of Jesus out from Jerusalem into the world, overcoming all opposition. As we reflect on this section of this letter today, this document, we pray that we would yeah, be blessed through it, that your spirit would speak to our hearts and that we'd be encouraged from it as well. Uh, please may the timeless truths which we see here come home to us today and guide us on our life's path as Christian people and as a community of your people we ask. Amen. I went on the web and had a look at some headlines this week uh, reflecting what's happening in the world in regards to the Christian church and they were sobering reading. Let me give you a few of them. Turkey seizes six churches as state property in volatile southeast. Pakistan Christian teenager reveals she was kidnapped, beaten, raped, and forced to convert to Islam. Bones of Christian saint uncovered in monastery destroyed by ISIS. Terrorist group behind Pakistan Easter bombing threatens more attacks. One kidnapped pastor in Nigeria dead. Two others released. Faith can be fatal. Pakistani Christians in the crosshairs. In many ways, today, our world is a dark place for the Christian church. And times were equally dark for the Christian church in the first century, as we see in Acts chapter 12. At this time, King Herod Agrippa I was in power in Palestine. He, like his grandfather, if you recall the one who tried to kill Jesus, the baby Jesus, he was a particularly nasty piece of work. Uh, he was in a, a line of puppet kings under the authority of Rome, who ruled over areas of Palestine. Uh, these Herodians, they were not themselves Jews, but they were Edomites, that is, descendants of Esau. Hence, they had a bit of an uneasy relationship with the Jews. They weren't Jews themselves. Now, this Herod was a particularly ruthless, insecure despot. Uh, his policies basically were shaped by political expediency. He would do whatever was necessary to preserve and to promote his power. Integrity and compassion were not words found on the lips of his subjects when talking about him. And so Herod, he initiates this crackdown on the Christians he dislikes minority groups that may threaten the peace. Uh, he arrests and beheads James, the brother of John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And then he sees that this, this wins favor with the Jews. So he thinks, I'll have more of this. And so he perceives that some personal advantage if he continues this campaign. So he proceeds to arrest Peter as well with the same fate in mind. However, he can't immediately convene his kangaroo court because it's the Passover. And Jewish law prohibited trials or sentencing on the Passover. So, Herod has Peter thrown into prison. Uh, it's a maximum security prison 
And Peter is put under guard 24-7 by four squads of soldiers. So at this point, for the Christians, the situation seemed hopeless. Everything was going against the Christians. Everything was going for Herod. Uh, The Jews were now on his side. The Christian leadership was contained. Uh, James was dead. Peter was under arrest. And it seemed he had no chance of escape. Here's the question. What could the powerless little Christian community do against the might of Rome? What could the powerless little Christian community do in such a seemingly helpless, dark situation. They could do nothing. They could do nothing except for one thing. And it's the only power that the powerless possess. They could pray. And that's what they did. They prayed. And they prayed with great fervor and with great earnestness. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And so then, into this dark, hopeless situation, a ray of hope is shone, uh, literally in the form of a radiant angel. Uh, Peter's asleep, and now it takes considerable trust in God's care and control to sleep on the eve of your execution, and yet that is what Peter is doing. He's asleep in the jail, and he's awoken. He's awoken by this angel. Uh, The angel frees him from his chains, and the angel leads him out of prison past the guards. Now, there's no indication that the guards were asleep. This is actually a truly miraculous deliverance. Uh, Peter then reports back to base. He goes to the house where many believers have gathered to pray through the night. However, he has trouble gaining entrance. And no doubt, when he knocked at the door, the people inside, they feared the worst. They thought this is a visit from the secret police. And so what do they do? Bravely, uh, they dispatch the servant girl to the door. Uh, She hears Peter's voice outside. She is utterly overjoyed, so much so that she leaves him standing there. And she runs back to report the good news to the trembling guests. Now their initial reaction is one of utter disbelief. They think she's bananas. And then they resort to spectacular speculation. They say she's seen Peter's guardian angel. Uh, Meanwhile, there's poor Peter, still outside, knocking on the door. And eventually the door is opened, no doubt with considerable trepidation. And there he is. It is Peter. In the morning, uh, there is pandemonium in the prison. Uh, The ruthless Herod, again, proves true to form. He executes the soldiers for their dereliction of duty. And yet the tables have not yet been fully turned. There is a further stage in God's prosecution of his cause. You see, all is not well uh, in Herod's relationship with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Consequently, Herod has cut off their food supply. So the people of Tyre and Sidon, they decide it is time to sue for peace. However, they get a little carried away in their adulation of Herod. Uh, After Herod has publicly addressed them, they cry, This is the voice of a God, not a man. What does Herod do? 
He doesn't say, you can't say that, I'm not a God. Rather, he takes for himself that praise which is only due to God. And as a result, God intervenes. The angel who struck Peter awake now strikes Herod down. And Herod, who had denied food to Tyre and Sidon, himself becomes food for worms and dies. Not only is a major enemy of the gospel surgically removed, but the cause of the gospel advances on. Look at verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and to spread. Do you see? A chapter which began so well for Herod and looks so dark for the church ends with defeat for Herod and victory for the church. Peter's delivered, Herod is dead, and the gospel continues to spread. So what are the timeless truths that carry forward to us today? What is the significance of what we see in this era of church history for our current era of church history today? Because as was the case then, the church lives in dark times. And as was the case then, it seems today that evil has the upper hand at both an international level and a national level. You see, in this media-saturated age, we are much more informed of everything that is happening throughout the world, much more than previous generations. And those headlines which I read to you earlier, they are headlines just from this week in the news, and they paint a dark picture. Now, whilst Christians in Australia don't face violence or death for their faith, the spiritual state of the nation is also dark. What do we see around us? A society which increasingly has no time for God. A society that is increasingly secular. And we see various outworkings of this, don't we? To name but a few, uh, the push to legalize same-sex marriage. Uh, the opposition to scriptures in the schools. But as was true then, such is still true today. You see, the point is this. God's hidden hand is working behind the scenes in spite of the darkness to achieve his purposes. And therefore, our response as Christians today should be twofold. Firstly, to trust in God's purposes to prevail. And secondly, to pray for God's purposes to prevail. Firstly, this unrelenting flow of bad news, can it not wear us down after a while? Don't we start after a while at least to feel gloomy and at the worst demoralized? Do we not start to ask, where is God in all of this? Do we not start to ask, is God really achieving his good purposes behind this curtain of evil and opposition? And yet, what does Acts chapter 12 remind us? It tells us this we can maintain a calm and secure confidence that God is indeed at work in spite of the darkness. His purposes will prevail. And we may not see them finally prevailing until the day the Lord Jesus returns, but we can know for certain His purposes will prevail. The darkness shall not ultimately overcome the light. And so... 
not only can we be confident in God's purposes prevailing, but we can do something. We can pray. Because that's the second encouragement from God's Word today. What can the powerless Christian community do against the might of secularization today? The same thing that the powerless Christian community did against the might of Rome in Acts chapter 12. We can pray. You see, we're not powerless. And in fact, we have at our disposal a very powerful weapon, prayer. So whilst we should trust in God's purposes to prevail, that doesn't mean to say that we should remain passive. We should pray. As a church, do we want to be effective in God's purposes in Cherry Book? Yes, we do. As a church, do we want to grow? Yes, we do. Therefore, we need to pray. Uh, the New Testament letter of Ephesians, uh, the kids' talk picked up on this. It reminds us to pray at all times, in every situation. The context in Ephesians is it's painting this picture of what is the true reality of life all around us. It reveals to us that we shouldn't just live by sight, but also by faith. It reveals to us that raging all around us is an unseen spiritual battle. It says there are evil forces at work in the world, spiritual forces, and therefore we should put on the armor of God to engage in that battle. And a vital piece of the armor is prayer. Ephesians 6 verse 18 again. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Which is the word which turns up time and time again in that verse. All. Pray on all occasions. Pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray for all the Christians known to us who are needing prayer. Now, I need to hear that, don't you? You see, I find it's all too easy every now, to pray every now and then, uh, mostly in response to the most pressing needs for a limited number of people. And in my busy life, with many competing demands, I find it's all too easy to live by sight and not by faith to forget about the spiritual battle that rages around me. Maybe, if we're honest, we all struggle to live by faith and not by sight. And what can we do about it? We can encourage each other to pray. If I reflect on the times in my life when my walk has been closest with God, I see that I do pray more. I see that I do have more of a moment-by-moment communion with God during the day, and it's a real delight. I find that I naturally just want to share my heart with God. When I enjoy things, something in the day which I'll, I'll appreciate, I just naturally want to respond in thanksgiving to God. I shoot up an arrow prayer. When I find I'm anxious about something, I just think I don't have to wait till. I'm at home and in my study, I can pray now. And maybe when I think of suddenly just a, a person from the past who I haven't thought of for years, maybe somebody who used to be a Christian who's now fallen away, 
I think, hang on, I can pray for them now. Maybe that is a prompting of the Spirit to pray for them. As Ephesians reminds us, we can pray in the Spirit on all occasions, in all sorts of prayers. Do you see the encouragement? To pray. It is a priceless privilege. To pray those hour prayers throughout the day, to walk through each day hand in hand with our loving Heavenly Father. And we can also encourage each other to pray. We can ask each other, how's your prayer life going? We can ask each other, what can I pray for you? And we can actually pray with each other. You see, as a Christian community of God's people, we know, don't we, it's good and important to meet together on a Sunday, and that's what we're doing today. And as a community of God's people, we know, don't we, it's good and important to meet together to study God's Word. And that's what we do in our midweek study groups. But we also know, as a community of God's people, it's good and it's important to pray together. And this is vital to our life together as a community of God's people. And of course, we do have two opportunities each month to do that, one on a Saturday morning and one on a Sunday morning. The Sunday morning was today, if you missed it. And my point is this. It will be a real blessing to us as a community and to our cause if we meet more often together to pray. Now, I know that we all have busy lives, but why not make it your aim to be at least one of these meetings each month? Because God loves to hear the prayers of his people. And God is moved to hear us when we express our trust in him. God is moved when we cry out to him with our needs. And to do so is and a great encouragement also to each other. We need each other to pray. Now, as we close, uh, maybe we don't feel like very good prayers. Maybe you struggle, as I do, to believe that it really at times makes a difference. And if we're honest, we all struggle with those doubts. But do you see the encouragement from this passage of Scripture today? There the Christians were. They were praying. Uh, the dark, desperate circumstances seemed to galvanize them to pray. They prayed earnestly, but they prayed without really believing. They prayed earnestly, but they prayed without conviction. And when the answer to their prayers was physically standing outside the door, they couldn't believe it. They didn't believe it. And yet their prayers had been answered. The question then is this, how much faith do you need to have for a prayer to be answered? How much faith do you need for a prayer to be answered? What did Jesus say? How much faith did Jesus say we needed to have our prayers answered? Matthew 17 verse 20, I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. 
you see what it's saying? It seems to be saying that just the very act of prayer itself is an exercise of faith. Choosing to pray, even when doubting, it will make a difference. Is that grain of faith as small as a mustard seed? And like the father who brought his ill son to Jesus for healing, we can pray, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. We can actually pray about our unbelief in prayer. We can pray to God, help me please to pray more, to have a deeper sense of the privilege, to have more faith to believe. It will actually change things. And may we also be encouraged then by the words of Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Shall I pray? Heavenly Father, Thank you for what we see in this passage of Scripture. You are working in the darkness of the world to further your cause of light. You, in ways unseen to us, are fulfilling your purposes in spite of the darkest opposition. But we thank you also that we need not stand by helplessly wringing our hands. You have given us the privilege of being engaged in that process and, that, and your purposes. And one of the ways we can be engaged is through prayer. So please, Lord, before we act and before we go out, help us to be prayerful first and foremost and encourage us, we pray, in that most important aspect of our Christian lives together and our most privileged access we have with you. We ask this all in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.